0: Welcome to Mint, a unique look into how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and let's kick off this episode by giving some love to our five NFT sponsors. They are Coinvise, Poop, Celo, social Stack, and Primedown. First off, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties. NFT business models and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we have Poap, or short for Proof of Attendance Protocol, who enables a novel way of creating one's life diary. Leveraging NFT technology, Poap facilitates an easy way to mint non-fungible tokens related to meaningful events. It's frequently used in crypto native communities, and now it's starting to create NFT collectors in the mainstream, too. Collect or launch your own POAP today by visiting POAP.xyz. Next up, we have Socialstack, a platform for communities, brands, and creators to build mission-driven social token economies. Offering an easy-to-use, non-custodial wallet with a suite of open-source community engagement tools, Socialstack makes it simple to bring your community into Web3 and be a part of creating an open-source, gratitude-driven future for social tokens. Create a free social token wallet, discover mission-driven social token communities, or apply to launch your own token on Socialstack by visiting Socialstack.co today. Next up, we have Cello. Are you looking for an ecosystem of dApps, currencies, and tokens that can connect you with people no matter their device, carrier, or country? Well, say hello to Cello, a mobile-first platform that makes crypto dApps and payments accessible to anyone with a mobile phone. Celo supports thousands of projects from builders, developers, and artists who everyday build applications and issue tokens from all over the world. Visit celo.org today to learn more. And last but not least, we have PrimeDAO, a collective of DeFi builders and DAO veterans attempting to turn DeFi into a more cooperative ecosystem by creating DAO to DAO interactions. The first solution to go live is Prime Launch, a launchpad experience for DAOs built in collaboration with Balancer. If you plan on launching a DAO, head over to prime.xyz to access a network of partners and tools that will jumpstart your DAO development today. This episode welcomes Rafa, a community builder, Web3 operations contributor and an active supporter of local artisans in Puerto Rico. Currently, he's most active in Web3 communities like Forefront and Creator Cabins. In this episode, we talk about the biggest recaps from MetaCartel's MCon. how can DAOs nurture a space for experimentation, how to narrow the gap between passive and active contributors, what DAO-related projects and problems would he like to see tools and platforms solve, his idea around contribution zones, how creators should be approaching their DAOs, tourist tracks for DAOs, and so much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Alright, guys. Uh, here we are, MCon. Okay, we're doing a post recap of MCon. With me, I have an OG DAO contributor, who uh, who's quite active across multiple communities, including Forefront, including Creator Cabin. His name is Rafa. Welcome, Rafa.
1: How you doing? Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be here. I, I, it's been a long week. And, yeah. You know, this is uh, we're in the stretch, and I think it's time to digest a little bit about all the different conversations that we've had. Uh, at, at mcon this week
0: yeah so i i want to take a good portion of this to do like a recap of mcon uh yeah. so just for those who don't know mcon it's today, september 18th 12.01 p.m we are in denver colorado uh this whole entire week has just been festivities of Tao activities and og Taoists and philosophy and parties and just an amazing time to kind of recap post COVID and see all these internet people in person. Uh, so before we get into MCON, give me a quick brief about yourself.
1: Who the hell are you? What were you doing before crypto and DAOs and kind of, where are you now? So, uh, so as you said, my name is Rafa. I'm Rafa, the builder on, on Twitter. And, uh, I've actually been practicing, uh, organization design and studying organization design for the better part of the last decade. And so, uh, I worked in, in manufacturing for a little bit. I worked in consulting, strategy consulting um, and in most recently in human resources technology for Web2. But uh, I've always been quite, um, I guess, dissatisfied with the way that um, the type of contract that employees have and the fact that it's mostly a model about like resource management and like value extraction from resources where I would want to be able to see something more about reciprocity and being able to, um, create value together. And so through that conversation and through some experience and building in real life communities, uh, in London, I was looking towards a future of kind of the creator economy and how, you know, you collab on Instagram nowadays, right. And what that future of collaboration looked like and that, ended up here in crypto and in Dow land. So tell me, tell me about the past communities that you built while you're in London. What, what,
0: what did those look like? And how do they kind of relate to what's happening with DAOs right now?
1: Yeah. So, um, I met, I met, uh, one of my good friends in, in London about eight years ago. And one of the things that as a young adult is you move to a new city and you want to make new friends. Right. Right. And, uh, what, what no one had told me was the fact that you can actually make friends quite consistently and you can make deep friendships and you can create a community of friends, uh, by consistently showing up and by just creating events. It sounds very obvious in <laughs> retrospect. Um, you know, all you needed to do was host a couple of dinners that I learned from my friend who, who kind of was doing it in, in London. And, I realize that you can build a community a- around people who just want to be friends together and uh, can become a-, a source of support for each other so uh, in London we we intentionally build a community of just folks who wanted to spend time together. Um, we hosted a book club for example for a while and a community group to about uh, a group of let'd say about two hundred people yeah why do you think you've like
0: naturally drifted towards organizational design what, what is it about it that kind of like gets you going
1: oh there, there's a good story here so when i was um my first internship uh my parents wanted to teach me the value of work um <laughs> i feel and, like that's like the core principle it, it, that any family tries to instill okay. yeah that, yeah yeah and you know coming from a from a family in puerto rico They called my uncle who had a hardware store that they make doors and sell doors Mm -hmm. back in Puerto Rico. And they said, you know, you're going to work there this summer for essentially minimum wage. They did pay me a little bit more than minimum wage. And my job was to count screws. Mm -hmm. So what, what that meant was I had to spend eight hours a day uh, taking this huge bag of screws and putting them in a little, uh, baskets of a hundred screws each, and I had to do this manually. So I had to like pick up, you know, the screws, and I had to put them in in little baggies. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, and you know, eight hours. I'm in the basement, <laughs> and I go to my uncle and I say, you know, why don't we weigh them, you know? So okay. instead of counting okay. them. How about like, we I'm them? so over counting this shit. No, it's not just inefficient. It's also the probability of me making a mistake is extremely high. Right. So I could increase the accuracy and increase my speed in doing it. And my uncle is like, no, like you're here to work and you need to learn how to work. And I was like, what? like, go back and continue counting. And oh I'm my like, God. and I say, how is this? producing any sort of value for this company how is this company profitable Mm -hmm. how is my uncle making money because if they're spending an entire full-time equivalent of me down here Mm -hmm. in the basement which number one i also thought was a complete waste of like you know my interest in for example business development Mm -hmm. but put that aside i was like (laughs) this doesn't make any sense and there was a bunch of other people on like the payroll and i just kept on asking, why is this like the case? Um, And I couldn't get, I still can't get that question out of my mind, so I kind of followed my nose on that and every single job that I've had is continuing to understand, you know, how do humans organize and like actually create value. Interesting.
0: That's a, you know, when like when you look back into your career and you try to like piece the moments that influenced you the most, and obviously in the moment you kind of like you kind of question, like, how the hell does this make sense at all? But yeah. those like core experiences end up making you know like who you are today. Yeah. You know, and you counting all those nails, like, how is that equivalent to like organizational behavior in DAOs, right? Yeah. And, and not nails, bolts, right? Yeah, yeah. How does that kind of pertain to how people work in a decentralized manner? Have you yeah. have you found those similarities? Like, what what is the correlation?
1: Well, I I think what what kind of takes you from point A to point B is that. Um, and one of the things that I realized, uh, and this is part of the book club in London, and part of conversations, and also um, just human relationships in general, if you sit back, uh, you there's two different types of decisions that I think humans do. One type of decision is intentional, um, which is I well, this is roughly speaking, and this is a false binary, but let's go through the theoretical mm-hmm. exercise for a second. One is intentional, which means you wake up and you make a decision. Right. Um, Uh, You have another type of decision, which is script script based. You're thirsty. You go get a glass of water. You didn't make that decision. You just went and got a glass of water, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Similar to that, there's a thousand other scripts in life that you can choose to follow or not, and you can choose to analyze them or not. So um, getting a job and going to college is a script. It's, right. a, it's a community script. Right. Making sure you don't drop out of high school is a script. Mm-hmm. Actually, dropping out of high school is also a different type of script mm-hmm. that you could follow. Mm-hmm. Right? And these are tied to different cultural components and, and community environments that reinforce certain scripts that you have. Okay. Now, where I'm going with this is that when one of the scripts that we don't challenge enough um, is actually the employment script. So we have a social construct where you must get a job and you must get paid and uh, the majority of the value extracted in that uh, partnership actually goes to a central institution um, and that that is a tax and not in a bad way, that is a necessary tax uh, to be able to manage the transaction costs. You, the, that makes sense and that script makes sense because As an individual, if I try to do something and I didn't have the distribution power or I didn't have access to the right technology, then the probability of my failure as an individual is actually very high. Mm -hmm. So what are my options? I can go high risk, high reward, right? That's entrepreneurship. Right. Or I can work for another company which has already solved the transaction coordination problem. Right. Now that script is actually outdated and what the DAOs are re- why DAOs exist today is because we've realized that that script that acceptance of that specific coordination distribution tax actually no longer is the case hmm. as an individual the creator economy is coming through because an individual has access to the right technology and the transaction costs are low enough that your probability of success of finding a niche, a market, and monetizing it is actually much higher than most people realize. It might take seven thousand five hundred tweets to find a niche, but if you tweet enough about the same topic, you will develop that audience. You'll you develop, develop it, the you audience, know. or you find it. You yeah. know, you, whether the audience exists or not, that that transaction process like happens, and then you can uh, monetize the value that you're actually producing. Mm-hmm. that means that me counting screws, right? Which was a transaction cost. You know, I'm working for an employer. If I tried to count screws by myself, I would have to find everybody that wanted their screws counted, which might take a lot of time. Right. I might have to tell them how I'm gonna count screws. Right. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna to have to charge them a lot more than minimum wage because it, it costs too much to do, right? So all of that doesn't work. It's better to be on the payroll and I might be a, a loss as an individual, but overall the company might still be profitable.
0: So but what is it about the decentralization
1: part of organizations that helps kind of fit with your theory of scripts? Oh yeah. So the the what what happens is when when you start thinking about what you can do as an alternative, okay. um you there are new models that emerge. Right. Right. And um You know one potential model is actually the creator economy as a freelancer, right? The decentralization component is a new script Which is now evolving and the script goes like this A group of people can get together on the internet and make money That's it. That's it. That's the script That's a new one though that didn't exist in the public conversation um in a long time and I would say as we say on Twitter it's still early Mm -hmm. but that script is is really grabbing people's attention um you know there's a there's a bit of uh hopium is how people describe Mm -hmm. it because there's so much opportunity people say hold on I have an alternative to employment and so now employment can go under scrutiny and decentralization a group of people can get together on the internet to produce value mm-hmm. actually becomes an attractive alternative right. to it right talking
0: about people getting together
1: yeah mcon
0: yeah okay? MCON. what first of all how is mcon for you i mean i know behind the scenes you were telling me
1: like wow what a conference but yeah. tell me a little bit more so i i think um so mcon so i recently quit my Web two job. Um, right. uh, quick, yeah, quick, yeah, quick, quick! Applaud, quick yeah, applaud. yeah. I wrote an article about why I made that transition. I talk a little bit about some of this, some of what we spoke about here, but, um, and I aped into it. I was like, if look, if I'm gonna go do this, I'm just gonna go full in. And so, uh, a couple weeks back, um, it wasn't even a week. I bought my tickets. You know, maybe like, you know, two weeks, like a week before the conference. And you know, I emailed some people. I was like, "I'm, I'm gonna go. Like, we're just gonna go this full, full on." And the conference was so much more than what I expected it to be. Um, and I think the driver of that kind of energy, because it, really it was, it was great to uh, for the community to provide itself some uh, validation to each other for the work and the and what they've done for for so long. You know, right. there's a lot of perseverance here that has gone into it. Um, I can't really count myself in that yet. You know, I'm I'm still new, but mm-hmm. the um, but it was it was really wonderful. It's it's something really magical to be surrounded by um, what I would call community stewards who have a vision of cooperative development and have a vision of creating uh, generational wealth um, across individual communities. It's it's really awe inspiring. Yeah, I'll tell you my experience at MCon.
0: I I used to produce a lot of events, um, many -hmm. many events, like the last two years, and now I'm finding myself attending more events. Yeah, and MCon was one of those like gatherings where one the selective group of people that came that was like strategically done in a way where you could have like high quality caliber people, right? And you just felt you're just like the dumbest person in the room all the time.
1: Oh right? man, that imposter syndrome is... You know,
0: and like you're listening to these real. conversations and you're listening to the to the people behind them and you're listening to how people, like how critically people are thinking about this stuff in their free time. Yeah, It just makes it's everything... serious fun. Yeah, it's serious, serious fun. fun. That's why they called it MCON.fun. Yeah, yeah you know? MCON.fun, <laughs> that's, yeah. right. that's right. <laughs> so what were some of like the biggest takeaways for you from MCON? Um, beyond the partying, beyond, yeah, beyond, the drinking, the, beyond, beyond the,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think it, you know, I just want to mention one point. you yeah. talked about the the caliber of the person that was attending. Um, I think part of that is actually the pandemic. It like the the people who came were the people who uh paid the tax, the the pilgrims, yeah, one might call it, yeah. And like so, uh, like any pilgrimage, you know, you go to Burning Man. It it takes Effort to get there yeah. and to participate, and so I think one of the things that um, MCon did. I, I know the community is small to begin with, so you have like a group of hardcore people. But I, I think part of this is uh, the pilgrims got together, right? Uh, they they came together for a specific vision, um, and they they came to lend tribute to you know the vision and, and the community development that mm-hmm. it has. And, uh, it needs to be serious fun for someone to say, "I will be a pilgrim," mm-hmm. right? It, mm-hmm. it takes time.
0: You know, one of the most memorable points for me this was on day three. So mm-hmm. yesterday on Friday, you know, you step outside of the Woods Brewing Company yeah. and you just see like a circle of people just sitting in the middle of the street, you know, yeah, and just yeah. like ideating on like Dow philosophy and, and and talking about the future of organization, the, the future of collaboration on the internet. Yeah. Tokenomics mechanism design. Yeah, you,
1: do you know how that started that circle? No. Floor? Yeah. No. So um, a couple of folks on Telegram got together, and since Friday didn't have any programming, um, it was just a group of five people on Telegram that said, "Hey, let's uh, let's get together at the Chili Pad, so mm-hmm. like uh, Meta Cartels kind of like pad, and let's discuss it." Um, but you know, when I got to the event center, and I was like, I. I was like, "Why are we going to Chili Pad? Like, why doesn't everybody come here?" So I like texted the Telegram group, and I was like, "Executive decision, we're doing it here." <laughs> so we sit down, and there's like six people at a start, mm-hmm. and we start having a conversation, and then more people join one one at a time, mm-hmm. like, and then we're like, "Well, we don't have enough space on the table, so let's like start sitting down," mm. and we sit down and. More people join,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then people start crowding around, and they start listening, and they decide to contribute. Mm. And actually, that is exactly how uh, decentralized organizations work. Just going to say that, yeah, that it, it's exactly the same way. You get a core group of people who just want to do something, um, but you do it in public, and you're not necessarily loud about it, but you're you're consistent about it. Yeah. Talk about it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And other people start listening and they start contributing. Yeah. And you you see people move through this concept of like contribution zones, right? Which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. We're gonna lurk. I'm gonna I'm I'm watching from afar. Ah, there's something going on there. I get a little bit closer, I decide to invest a bit of my time or resources in it. And then I might decide to contribute or to to listen and maybe participate or signal as we might say and then determine a specific course of action and actually then get involved in production yeah yeah what do you what would you say are like some of the
0: big biggest
1: alpha takeaways
0: oh yeah let's um, get back to that you picked
1: up from mcon yeah Uh, um what's what's the 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 alpha yeah Um, for for those who are listening i don't know if you. Come across this concept of what alpha is, <laughs> um, but it's a, you know it's a, like the epitome
0: of top notch. Yeah, yeah, it's the
1: the hot topics yeah. and like the the good insights. Right. Um. There's there's a couple different ones. Like, um, actually wrote a Twitter thread thread about this this morning. Um, I think a couple of things stood out. The first is like the level of ambition is like really high, and like that's but it's it's ambition from a group of people who are humble and honest about what they're trying to execute. Sure. Um, you know, they, they didn't, um, the, that's like really impressive. And like, there, there's a lot of insight that actually comes from that discussion because the principles that these people are using to think about product development, to think about community development, is not, uh, I'm going to create wealth. You know, you might go to a startup conference that they're going to talk about cash flow and talk about runway and talk about, you know, how can I get a bigger multiplier <laughs> on my valuation. I didn't hear a single a conversation single one, yeah. about valuation discussions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's because v- valuation is not the end goal. The end goal is actually uh, creating a movement of, of people who believe that there is an alternative script and an alternative way to actually produce value in the world, which is uh, not competitive, it's collaborative. How do you think we scale this movement without diluting its value, its yeah. ethos? So during the circle yesterday, yeah. this was a very, very important topic of discussion because um what makes the magic and what gives you the energy today is is actually the fact that you have this ethos you have these vibes right right it's all about vibes here you know like i'm mostly here for the vibes we all are. and And like how do you how do you scale vibes right Uh, startup startups actually talk about this quite often Mm -hmm. right they they say how do i scale culture i have five people i have a founding team i'm like tight-knit squad you know how do I scale culture? And the then, only way to do it is with memes. The, I, you you joke, but that is the yeah. answer. Yeah, that the answer is you scale it with memetic information that reinforces a specific value system. Um, now the you can you can introduce new memes mm-hmm. and you can introduce new metaphors. Mm-hmm. I, I really like thinking about the language that's actually used. And during the circle, we talked about the importance. Developing a common lexicon of vocabulary and values that we want to use. Uh, doctrines, one, one might say. I don't know if anybody here is familiar with Wordly Maps, but uh, he's another person who works on strategy and or design, very, very well known and talks about doctrines. So the most basic, one of the, the first components of any type of collective like collaboration process is we need to be able to understand each other. And with a new DAO ecosystem, or I prefer to call them digital native organizations because mm-hmm. some are not autonomous or some are not decentralized, but they're all like internet natives. The We don't have a common lexicon yet. I'd, here's an example of what I just said. Like what is a DAO? What is all this coordination for? What is our compensation structure? Mm-hmm. What counts as a token or an NFT? Mm-hmm. Like what is what is a contributor Mm -hmm. and we're in the process of that emergence in terms of both a value system which we're trying to identify without locking ourselves in place because the you know self referential problem here and the the operational process so that people who want to participate in this process and are you know we're going to have a tsunami of people like joining us soon enough. they are right. already coming right. And how do we how do we help people maintain the same conversation and the same value system um, using using the same language and foundational right. processes? Yeah. yeah, I want to pivot for a
0: minute to focus on because you're a DAO contributor across multiple communities, right? between Mm. Forefront, between creator cabins, I wanna kind of pivot into your time at Forefront, okay? And bring up two, or I guess one primary article that you recently published on behalf of Forefront talking about contribution zones, which really, really stood out to me, and I don't think it got enough attention. So this is me putting it on blast and giving it more light, okay? Um, But first, for those who don't know what Forefront is, how would you summarize Forefront in like an elevator pitch?
1: An elevator pitch. Forefront is Forefront is the port of entry to Web3 is how we want to describe it. Um, I say we as, you know, Forefront, mm-hmm. um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, this is like quite emergent. Now, what does a port of entry mean? It means that um, we want people to be able to go to Forefront, um, get the right resources, be able to find uh, the right dao for them or the right social token or social engagement um and so forefront is is kind of like a content first organization where we're publishing doing research with regards to different um organizations online and uh and right now trying to help other social organizations uh partner with each other right um we think about all these organizations or digital native orgs as as cities right Mm -hmm. the metaverse Mm -hmm. Um, and And there's a there's a really
0: cool graphic that you guys put together and i'll put it in the show notes for everyone that's listening that i like this was the first time i got to visualize a dao right right and do so in a way where it felt relatable from the architecture of a city
1: that's right okay
0: and i think you guys did this so strategically and so beautifully and the color coding like makes it all okay so Right now, just for those who are listening and go to adamlevy.io forward slash blog and you'll be able to see the, the the image. But there's four colors, blue, green, yellow, and red. And blue is governmental, green is uh, green space, yellow is residential, and red is commercial. And it looks like it, it's the architecture of basically a city. And first off, question. Well, it's
1: Tallahassee. This is Tallahassee. Okay, that yeah. was my
0: first question. Yeah. And second, what is going on here?
1: Okay. yeah.
0: Give me give me the breakdown in how did you like kind of come to the idea of color coding specific areas that specific color, right? So give me give me the rundown. What's going on over here? What's going on? Yeah.
1: Um, so I I read this book recently. Um, well, not right, re- not recently. That's a lie. I I have this book which uh, was recommended to me by uh, by a, a Ben Cat who does like Ribbon Farm and Breaking Smart, some other blogs, and I I tweeted. Um, I, I sent him a direct message and he's like, this really big guy. I, I love the work that he does really forward thinker. And I said, Hey, if you were going to recommend one book on org design or like a couple, what would he, what would you recommend? And he recommended two, he said, seeing like a state. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he recommended another one called images of organizations. And within that book, the author talks about how depending on the language and the perspective that we do, we can envision organizations as different types of like entities, whether um, a, a machine, um, we can say like operational effectiveness of an organization, right? you're, you're thinking about a metaphor about a machine mm-hmm. that has specific inputs and outputs, mm-hmm. or you can think about it as a brain and say, talk about learning loops or as um, a, a series of other enti- entities. and that book really kind of released i guess uh made me realize that organizations can be essentially whatever we describe them to be and when i was thinking about uh digital organizations i was thinking about this pattern of people getting together and they're like you know if you go to different discord channels they've got the tavern channel Mm -hmm. you know they've got the chit chat channel and it feels like you're walking around a neighborhood.
0: Mm-hmm. And I oh, was like,
1: "That's that's a good analogy." And yeah. and and you you move between one Discord channel and another, and uh, people talk about teleportation, but that's what you're having. You're teleporting yourself from one digital city to another. Mm-hmm. And so we when when I was thinking about that, there was a question uh, in our in in forefront, which is, we need to figure out how are we going to pay people? Like, how are we going to talk about different members? Um, because different members are contributing in different ways. And then these two ideas just kind of collided and said, well, if, if a digital city has different neighborhoods, well, maybe there's different zones that people are participating in a commercial zone or residential zone. And I was like, but maybe there's different levels of commitment and engagement than that we have. And maybe each person, then flows through different contribution zones in different neighborhoods mm-hmm. and maybe I'm a lurker right downtown mm-hmm. not really going anywhere but I'm just a tourist I'm just hanging out that's a that's a one level of commitment mm-hmm. in a specific area of your digital city versus maybe you're an active contributor in uh, the suburb where or your home is you know you're part of the board right? and you're actually doing specific work and you're committed for a specific amount of time or for specific projects. And so mm-hmm. when we when we start thinking about what language do we want to use um, to describe these digital organizations, I really wanted to stay away from thinking about them as machines with inputs and outputs because that's actually not how they work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're too complicated for that. Yeah there are these like organisms where they react to a specific environment and um but you know we also need to be pragmatic and make it simple enough for people to understand kind of what's happening mm-hmm. and like the, the the you know I was probably lucky and inspired and I was just like these ideas kind of collided and suddenly you can you can see them right if it was it was quite eye opening to write the article because as I was writing it, I was transforming the way that I was viewing the online landscape. Yeah, these
0: contribution zones are very much like operating models for yeah. DAO, right? Mm-hmm. How how can DAOs kind of nurture a space for experimentation to find that right, you know, contribution zone that that yeah. right operating model,
1: right? How do yeah. how do you kind of think about that? Yeah. Um, so in 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 forefront what we identified was that um we had kind of three main i, I think uh contribution zones right you had uh, three levels of participation one you're watching um one that you're actually doing and one which you're actually maybe enacting the community um, the community needs so uh, being more like a steward and uh, this might be common across uh, many many DAOs, but it actually might not be the same. Similar to what you described, like it might be different um, because the DAO or the digital native org that you're working with may actually have a command and control model mm-hmm. where you have a very central group of people then delegating, you know, work to others. Maybe your maybe your organization is closed and you don't really have lurkers. Yeah, right. You might be recruiting people specifically yeah. to work in the digital environment. So how do you? How do you realize, how do you explore your digital city and the digital city that you're creating? Well, it's similar to moving into a new city. What do you do when you move into a new city? You, you go on meetup.com and you yeah, try to find people. you try to find, you walk around. <laughs> yeah. You, you get in the around. car.
0: That's a good, It yeah, <laughs> yeah, just shows you the difference between you like, and I. Like, in like Europe, like, yeah, you're, you're more like around people. It's a different culture.
1: I feel yeah. like in LA, okay, meetup.com. Like. <laughs> That's exactly it. You look for people, you look for things to do. Yeah. And similar to any type of digital city, you have different layers to it and different um, uh, different meshes of environments, right? Um, you have, uh, in, in Europe specifically, you have the tourist track. Right. I mean, you have this in the States. You can go all through New York and see only the tourist stuff. Go to Times Square, yeah. go to Logan Square, yeah. you know, like, and you're going to get overpriced, terrible merchandise, mm-hmm. and it'll be the New York experience, <laughs> right? It's terrible, but it's true. That's the tourist track. right? And in digital cities, you have similar. You have different layers. You have local neighborhoods. Um, when you're thinking about your digital city. Um, you Number one, I, I'm not for like a central planning, so don't try to design your city, you don't do that. Uh, similar to how uh, cities are encouraged to grow, you can actually define specific zones of specific type mm-hmm. of work, so you plant seeds in terms of it. Um, I think listening for these specific signals and during a tour of your own city that you've been creating and reflecting on how people are engaging is the best way to actually learn it's yeah. a, and it's emergent. You know, that if you New York, is not the same New York. It was 50 years ago and your digital city is not going to be the same digital city next month. I mean, you're, we're moving on a way different pace. Online. Right. Let's, let's pick apart this tourist track
0: for a second. Yeah. Okay. Because just to recap, New York, you could take the tourist track and see mm. all the, like the very like low quality, but what everybody else sees like it's high quality, but yeah. it's like not like. There's more to New York beyond just a tourist track.
1: Yeah. Do
0: DAOs need a tourist track?
1: That's a that's a great question. I mean, and if wait. they do,
0: how do you even design a tourist track for DAOs? Yeah. What do you want a tourist track? I don't know. It, it, just like, a,
1: just, got, just You know what just, I'm
0: imagining right now? I'm yeah. imagining like me going online and having like in LA and all these micro DAOs, you know, and being able to navigate through them and kind of pick apart just the higher level takeaways. That's what I would consider like a tourist track, you know,
1: but what are the monuments? Yeah. You want to go see the monuments? Yeah, exactly. You know, but what does that look like in a DAO? I don't think we know yet. I mean, I, I think this is part of, at at MCON here we spend like all these days and one of the hot, the hot topics was actually onboarding. Yeah. And this actually relates to that type of onboarding experience, which is when you visit one of these digital cities and you're trying to figure out whether you want to move in, in whatever um, engagement level that you would be interested in having, what do you, what information do you show? And who do you want to attract? Tourist tracks attract tourists. Tourists. (laughs) Do you want your DAO filled with tourists? Well, maybe because maybe your DAO sells DAO merchandise. Right. And maybe you want tourists to come and hang out and drop and buy an NFT and then leave and not bother you anymore. Right. It's it's almost as if like these DAOs will have like galleries comprised of user
0: NFTs, you know? And the tourist track is literally understanding the culture of each DAO and navigating through each like micro museum. You know what I mean? That's right. Kind of thing. That's,
1: that's one, that's one of the many, many different mm -hmm. ways that you could uh, create a a certain type of experience for a specific type of person. Um, or, or I prefer to call them agents that come into the DAO. You know what I'm imagining
0: right now? Like what's the Hollywood tour bus moment? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like what is, what does
1: that look and feel like? What does it look and feel like and does it provide value and do you want it? Yeah. Do you want it? Does your community want that type of experience in, in forefront? One of the things that we've been talking about is there's so many people like coming into the server, but they don't necessarily know where to go. Right. And it's similar to a new city, which has buzz. You know, you got a gold rush going on and uh, all the people are like coming in and they're saying, I found forefront I, I found the, the, the blog. I, I came in here and actually it turns out that we don't have well-paved bro- roads yet and people are like crowding in different places and asking the shopkeepers hey i, I want to move in yeah and the shopkeepers are like well number one do you know what you're moving in for like yeah. they're just- and they're like no you haven't told me they're like yeah we probably like, no, just take my money <laughs> and they're like they're like i just want to spend my time here like what can i do to help you yeah and the shopkeeper is like Look, I'm like really busy right now. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm, make, I'm making some shoes. Like, I, I have a lot of shoes to make yeah. for the people who are already here. <laughs> yeah. And you want to hang out? Like, why don't you go make some shoes? And they're like, I don't know how to make shoes. And they're like, Will you teach me how to make shoes? And so the shopkeepers are trying to balance now between their own internal production, but also onboarding the the new people who are coming in. It's almost as if you need to develop like micro apprenticeship
0: programs. You know, mm-hmm. of people just like watching like the shoemaker making shoes, you That's know? Right. And learning from them, and like,
1: what does you that look to, like? You up? don't want to sacrifice, like, if there's a big balance here between like automation uh-huh. and like the actual human empathy and engagement and, right. and belonging, right? Part of the reason why digital organizations are are so special is because people are actually finding a, sur- a source of purpose mm-hmm. and participating in this different script. And so the, I mean, it comes back like um, I, I help run a nonprofit in Puerto Rico, which is called Obras del País. And we uh, do micro documentaries for artisans. And we've learned a lot about how artisans also engage and like bring people in and onboard them. Mm. Um, but similar to, similar to the artisans, the people who are really full-time in Daoland, they're like craftspeople. This is an automated work. This is community management and community stewardship. It takes time, you know, to take that raw material just like a group of people right. and turn it into a source of value and production. You build a community in real life, you're not gonna get a community in a week, no matter how hard you try and how much hazing you do to, you know, have them bond. Yeah. It takes years of consistent conversation to get to different layers of participation. Right.
0: And you know, the equivalent of entering that shop to talk to the shopkeeper who's making the shoes is, and I would take this again, I'm looking at the contribution zone uh, yeah. article that you wrote. And again, I'll, I'll reference it in the show notes. Every single person that's entering the shop starts as a casual contributor, yeah, That's right, right? And if they want to start helping build the shoes, right, then they become core contributor, yeah. right? And then what if they want to open their own store? Yeah. And they that's become right. staff.
1: That's right. Yeah. Right. And the, and moving through, I think, though, there's an important distinction here. It's easy to conflate contribution zones with, like, a career ladder. And that's actually not the case at all. So, like, contribution zones are supposed to be personalized preferences. Mm-hmm. So maybe I am a casual contributor because maybe I don't want to have my own store. I don't want to commit over a period of time. Yeah. And it's 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 really important to uh, differentiate between um, career level, like which is an old script of a traditional organization, versus what we talk about in contributor zones, which is a a personalized experience within that digital city, which is for you, right, as an individual and your preferences and needs and opportunities.
0: Yeah. That makes that makes sense. One thing that I continuously see across DAOs um, is there's a lot of like active contributors and, and yeah. passive contributors. Yeah. How do you narrow that gap? Yeah, that's. A- how do you get more people in the store, right? And how do you develop it in a way where the shoemaker, there's a ton of them that the system welcomes and allows, you yeah. know, but also encourages. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is. I feel like it's a fundamental problem across many digital organizations that have a token. Retail is going to ultimately speculate on it. And we saw it a lot with friends with benefits recently mm-hmm. when they did their raise, you know, and it reaching to about yeah. 200 a token and retail investors seeing the opportunity and et cetera, et cetera, even now with Forefront, and they did their private, private mm-hmm. quote unquote raise, you know, or their select raise. Um, and like, how do you, how do you narrow that gap?
1: Yeah. Um, so in, in, the, I think you're actually referencing here another like traditional script, which is, um, growth as a as a primary objective, that's not necessarily needed, and maybe you don't want to narrow that gap. Mm. Maybe you just want to have a bunch of low level contributors, and you want to make it hard to become core and staff because you don't want that many. Mm-hmm. And I that's think, a new perspective that I heard. Yeah, the you, growth is not the end game. It's actually just purpose and mission, and. That tailoring and, and creating a, a community, a city that provides you a specific experience. There's a lot of small towns that don't want to become a city. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cities that don't want to become a mega metropolis. And like, that I think we need to, we as collectively, as we move into digital native organizations, we need to be quite conscious of the fact of chasing growth or, or capital, you know, value development for the sake of it and kind of realize that maybe, maybe we don't want any of that. Um, Now for, but in in most cases, look, like if you're founding a city, you do, you do want to get some staff and some, some contributors, right? So narrowing that gap is still important for specific areas. Um, I actually think this is going to come back to pods. I mean, chase and I joke about pods and it's a joke, pods, 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 but the, I think the the answer is that the unit of maturity actually is not from an agent perspective as an individual is actually maturing, um, by uh, different like squads or small groups of people mm-hmm. who are becoming more involved and committed together mm-hmm. over a period of time. And you might mm-hmm. move between one group and, ho- and another, you might be part of multiple groups, but I think it's going to be um, similar to the cohort-based cor- courses, mm-hmm. and that what we're seeing, and um, there's this really great book about uh, called "Situating Situated Learning and uh, Legitimate Peripheral Participation" that talks about this. That is about getting better at contributing, and we can provide people tools to become better contributors, and we can give them new scripts, right, to become better contributors. I think part of what we need to do right now is let that emerge a little bit because we're not, I think there's no hard coded answers yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: One thing that I'm like really excited about with the development of DAOs is the increase in development in tools and platforms that will Mm -hmm. help better organize DAOs, better communicate between peer to peer, you know, what are some of the biggest problems that you see needing to be solved right now with tools and platforms are that could be solved with tools and platforms or products, for example? Yeah. Anything that comes to mind?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: that yeah, haven't been answered yet, particularly. Yeah, that haven't been yeah. answered
1: yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is this is such a new environment. There's just like, you can pick any product and, and go at it. So think about how much software a standard startup uses today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They use maybe and they use a ton directly and Mm -hmm. even more so indirectly right right each piece of software that they use uses another 100 pieces of software Mm -hmm. and each of those hundred like use another Mm hundred if you look at uh the marketing advertisement like landscape has Mm -hmm. i don't i don't even i don't even you know, (laughs) know like like hr has hundreds of products yeah like the hundreds of products that are named like not not even like that, someone put on a map, right? Like how many analytics, data analytics tools do you have? Yeah, I think, um, but I do think that there's a there's a common trend here. And uh, actually, I had this kind of conversation a couple of days ago uh, with Meta Dreamer, and we were talking about product development for for digital native organizations. And I think there is a paradigm shift that's happening because operational tooling in in Web two, has. Um, traditionally been much more about like input process. I'm oversimplifying this. I'm sure this is this isn't true across the board. I'm let's just do a mental experiment sure. for a second. Sure. But um, you use Salesforce or or I uh, use different CRM. <laughs> let's say HubSpot. HubSpot, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you input data into HubSpot. Right. In digital native organizations there's something a little bit different going on, which is The software is built around the information feed, which exists. So Collabland, you don't input information to Collabland. Collabland reads your wallet. So it reads your transaction fee, uh, feed. And I think we're going to see a major operational change in which we're going to have all this like new toolkit. Which is going to read the information and the conversations that we're having and then provide value on top of it, kind of like how we have like Discord bots.
0: You know, the most like relevant example, and this comes from a startup that I met at MCon. Yeah. They are, in, they're an FWB. And I'm blanking out on their product name. I see the logo in my head, yeah. but the takeaway is they're trying to develop tooling for, uh, treasury management. Mm. Okay. And they want to help DAOs identify like, what's an employee cost or like a member cost. What's, what's an expense cost. You know, what's an overhead cost merely based off the the snapshot proposals that get accepted. That's right. Right. And again, you're
1: reading, reading data. Yeah. Yeah. You're not asking someone to come in and input the numbers in an Excel spreadsheet. That's, that's the previous approach. We had to input information. And like, so the new products that we're developing and so to get to your question before, which is what operational opportunities we have, I, I mean, all of them. Yeah. Wow. You you have all of them. You should see, I have chills right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you have all of the opportunities. You have opportunities for scheduling and calendar management where it's reading your agreements on calendars and like pinging you and telling you, hey, by the way, you have a conflict at that time with a different Discord Mm -hmm. or a different digital city. Mm -hmm. You've already committed to teleporting to this other digital city at that time. Mm -hmm. Would you like to delegate this to someone else? Mm -hmm. Would you like me to record the meeting and send it to you? Mm -hmm. Not reschedule. Like, what type of participation would you like to have since you already committed to be in person in this other environment? My mind is blown right right now. And so Is that already happening by the way? Do those tools exist? I don't think so. I'm just like guys build it. (laughs) Yeah, build it. And if you want to have a conversation about this, like the primitives have changed. Like that I tweeted this earlier and the primitives always change. You know, your your engagement with reality is always off. I don't really see the world, right? I see a projection of of the world as it is. But there is something really, really important, which is our foundational coordination mechanism is no longer data input, it's actually data synthesis. The data exists and we're producing it. And we, we now have an opportunity to build a completely new toolkit and operating model, which is not based on me moving from one interface to another, but having these programs read the engagements that we're already doing, read the chain, read the ledger, and then make recommendations and help you produce value Mm -hmm. that's deep that's a new perspective i've yet to come across well and this is the you know when people ask me why did you quit your job i said because you can't unsee this yeah you can't you can't go back to building a product like salesforce asking salespeople to input information when you when the you know that the future is going to be based on salespeople getting nudges based on transaction profiles that are automatically generated. And, you know, every single engagement is going to be recorded and you know, you're going to have that you're going to live in these digital cities and the salesperson is going to move from one digital city to another and creating, um, audiences of purchasing, not like single point of control, decision-making like you see this change and you're like, am I going to wait? Am I, am I <laughs> going to build this for the next five to 10 years for an enterprise solution, which by the way, they're going to make obviously a lot yeah. of money. Like yeah. I sure they're going to make a lot of money that that industry is not going to go anywhere. Web two, like, I'm sorry, folks, hot take here. It's going to be here forever. <laughs> like this, this, but we do have a new economic model, which is going to be developed in parallel. It's going to be similar to like, yeah we still have traditional manufacturing, and like there's still some farms mm-hmm. that are, you know have people picking fruit. Mm-hmm. like you still have old models of, of work, and maybe those aren't good examples, but you still have old models and new models of work. Mm-hmm. The world has not been digitized completely, and in the same way that the world has not moved to digital transformation, as the enterprise say, um, we haven't done the mobile transformation. We'll have an AI transformation. Yeah, we'll have collective intelligence or digital city transformation. And Tuffy is going to hire people to be like, we want to incorporate Dowland uh, uh, ways of working into mm-hmm. our organization. They'll pay McKinsey for it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't I don't even think Facebook. McKinsey could do it. I think they will. They will. They will sell attempt. It. They will sell it.
0: They will, they will it. create like infographics. 100%. You know, like the Tao landscape
1: twenty twenty three. What you they, need to know. What you, know? Do you need to know. Uh, top five leadership skills <laughs> for which is like the, for Taoists. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, top five leadership skills for uh, executive retreat to learn about community stewardship. You know, the way that we had the same way that we have servant leadership.
0: Is that how we know we've reached the top?
1: Like, when we when we see shit like that, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, the world is weird. I think I don't think we're gonna understand when we hit top. Yeah, I mean, what's happening is a mass migration of people from one ecosystem to another one, the same way how everyone went to tech, right? Yeah. And we're gonna see a massive wave of the people moving from corporate to tech, and now from tech to digital cities. Mm-hmm and it will self select. <clears throat> yeah, right? And like yeah, it's it's hard to unsee the pattern and to see the opportunity and to you know to to say we can build something new and it doesn't need to be exploitative. Right? I mean exploitation is never right. You should never do it. But we have an opportunity to instead of extracting value from an audience to creating community value together, right? Grow the pie as yeah. a foundation. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's so much, so many things to unfold here and to, to dive deeper in. I wanna I wanna end off with two more questions. Okay? okay. What we're talking about right now is I'd argue is a bit philosophical, right? We have yet to see an organization really execute on this and create like
1: major trillion exactly.
0: company. Yeah. How does this how does this tie back into creators? Okay. Yeah. And how does this kind of tie back into them monetizing or being stripped away portion of their of their efforts across web 2.5, web two platforms, right? Yeah. How can they adopt this this next era
1: with their communities that are inherently web two? I think, yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, right now we still have like a bunch of gatekeepers, right? You pay the tax. The, the YouTube tax and mm-hmm. Facebook tax like Snapchat tax the TikTok tax, you know, they're all taxes um, because you, you still have gatekeeping I, I, but there are different ways, I mean, you're seeing it with the NFT landscape where um, people are making their entire year's salary worth of like YouTube ads in days yeah. by putting their video up on glass.xyz or you know, that I, I really love this comment. Someone told me um, years ago, we were having a conversation, we were talking about like uh, paying for a blog. We were like, number one, no one's gonna pay for a blog. I don't know how long ago this was. This was like five, 10 years ago. No one's gonna pay for a blog. It's just words on the internet, like it's your opinion. We're gonna pay for your opinion. And then the next time I was like, no one's gonna pay for a blog post. Like. Who's gonna pay for a blog You have a subscription service. It's like, no one's gonna pay for it. And then mirror shows up Mm -hmm. and people are buying blog posts. And the next conversation will be, no one will pay for your paragraph and no one will pay for your sentence. And the reality is that they will and they'll get micro-referenced across the board Mm -hmm. and you'll create new network economics where I write a blog post and I reference Mm -hmm. you in a portion of my money using, for example, splits will get reallocated and will create a passive income economy where as you create online, the rewards will flow back to the sources. Mm-hmm.
0: One thing that I'm really excited about, uh, and there's a company that a project or a DAO that's going to be on season three called uh, global coin research Yeah, and their whole model. And I tweeted this a while ago. It's like, I don't want to pay $1 subscription for a yearly access to the New York times. Like it's a dollar, you know, like, but I just don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that funnel of like, all right, enter your first name, your last name, your email. Then you're going to get spammed with other promotional offers. you know? I'd rather just connect my wallet, hold the the, 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 the amount of tokens and get access to a floodgates of knowledge. I'd rather buy
1: $500 of your token than pay $1 for a yearly subscription. It's insane. Yeah. Right. It's, it's absolute, but it's so true. And the reality is like no one wants to input information. So going back to the product development conversation right. we just had. Right. I don't want to put my name in my credit card and give you my personal information and have you grab my cookies. It's like, can I just sign in and give you I like, just be me? Can, can I just
0: can I just do it? You can know? I just do
1: it? Can I just like read and consume and like automatically stream like micropayments like based on the information yeah. that I'm consuming and have a budget with regards to it and have a product that is telling me how much budget I'm using on information consumption mm-hmm. and make recommendations on it. And I think that is a future that it is it's here. Yeah, and the tooling is here.
0: Yeah, I wanna I wanna end off with one final question. Okay, and this yeah. is something that I ask everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm personally a big fan of the development of, of the internet. Okay, mm-hmm. and looking at like Web One and mm-hmm. how that was very read only. Right? Yeah. yeah, and how that transitioned into Web Two and building mm-hmm. like online communities that were gated by big corporations and yeah. and how they manipulated data. Yeah. Right, and. How everything became a service kind of thing. You know, or a lot of a lot of companies moved to SaaS models and whatnot. And now we're seeing like the transition into web three. And collectively, like web two ate web one, the argument is that web three is gonna eat web two. And web mm-hmm. three is all about like ownership, right? pseudo anonymity, yeah. right? What's gonna
1: eat web three? I don't know. It's like if you asked me like five years ago what was going to eat Web 2, I don't think I would be able to answer it. But like,
0: but you're the reason I ask you is because you're already identifying pain points that's happening in Web 2. Yeah. And like, what happens when you scale those solutions on Web 3? Is there any detriment to that? And what could that be that might influence Web 4? Yeah. From an organizational point of view, I
1: guess. It was uh, Neil Stephenson I wrote this book. I can't remember what the name was, but. In the book, you talked about um, feed customization. Mm -hmm. And so I think right now we don't have control over the information flows that we actually consume. So I think um, if Web 1 is read and Web 2 is read and write or Mm -hmm. read and create, and Web 3 is read, create, and own, Mm -hmm. the Web 4 is probably going to be read, create, own, and curate. Mm. And I think the... What do you mean by curate? Elaborate it'll, on that. It'll be a customization of the engagement that you have. Right now, we don't have control over the information feeds. you join a Discord, and you're part of every channel that you get assigned to. You get every piece of information, and you have a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to control for that right now. And even the Web3 tooling that we're developing is enabling ownership over the data that we're producing, but it's not enabling the customization of the data that you consume. So maybe that's the next, what comes next. Mm. It's a great take. That's the first perspective that I heard on on
0: curation. I've heard um, like the second that everything is on chain, what's like the detriment behind that, you know, I've heard uh, dystopian like theories, you know, like Mm. we entering like a black mirror type of situation where people are like, Everybody's valued based off their publicly traded token, you know, and what that kind of looks like. But that's that's a good point, Rafa. What a what a pleasure to have you on. Um, you're honestly a pool of knowledge when it comes to this specific stuff. So thank you for everyone that's listening. Where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you? Uh, and of course,
1: I'll, I'll reference your Twitter and all these these things that we yeah. talked about. But plug yourself. Uh, up. So uh, you can find me at forefront at a uh, cabin um, which is. Uh, Supporting different creators and creating a decentralized city Um, But for the most part you can find me on on Twitter at uh, Rafa the builder so R-A-F-A and the builder Um, Yeah, and if you want to connect just send me send me a message amazing and uh, Definitely support your local artisans and your local crafters. Amen. Thank you so much